0: Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. This morning our text from 1 Peter will be 1 Peter 1 verse 6 and 7. And in preparation for that, let's read the verses 1 to 12 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia. elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ though you do not now see him. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of christ and the glories that would follow to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have been who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into so far the reading of God's Word. Our text this morning is 1 Peter 1 6 and 7. Let's read those two verses again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps you remember from a few years ago the the massive bushfires that plagued Australia. Thousands of acres were burned, homes were destroyed, animals displaced. The damage was enormous. And so those bushfires were a terrible thing, and yet for a few plants, these fires were actually a good thing, because some plants have an extremely hard seed, which can only be broken by extreme heat. And so those fires, devastating though they may be, are actually needed for the growth of these plants. The extreme heat of the fire cracks the seeds. It's even needed for the growth of these plants. And so for those plants, the fire is is a good thing. It keeps them alive. We see a similar thing happening in our text. Peter talks about being grieved by various trials, and yet at the same time rejoicing. Grief and joy, these things don't seem to go together, do they? They're opposites. How is it possible to rejoice in grief? Well, brothers and sisters, from an earthly perspective, it's not possible. But we live by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's by looking at Jesus, even though we do not yet see him, that we can have joy. It's by holding fast to Jesus that we rejoice in the flames. It doesn't mean that we will ignore the suffering. It doesn't make us immune to suffering. It doesn't mean that we will escape trials. But living by faith in Jesus changes the way that we see them, the way we look at them. Because by faith, with the eyes of faith, we see that the trials draw us closer to Him. And one day we will experience that fullness of joy when we're perfectly joined with Him. And so I'd like to summarize the message this morning in this way By faith in Jesus, we rejoice in the flames. First of all, we'll see what believers rejoice in. By faith in Jesus, we rejoice in the flames. What is it that makes you rejoice? Is it your work? Or maybe your relationships? Or maybe it's your honor, the your prestige, the things that people say about you? Or maybe it's your health. What is it that makes you rejoice? Well, our text this morning starts off by saying in this you rejoice. In what? What was it that the early believers believers rejoiced in? Well, it wasn't their work or their social status. Because Peter's writing to Christians who were in the country that's now Turkey. And in the ancient world, being a Christian was not popular. Business owners didn't like the honesty of Christians. The priests of the local gods hated their single-minded devotion to Jesus. Their neighbors said nasty things about them. They insulted them. Chapter 4, verse 12, Peter talks about the fiery trial they experienced, saying that they were reproached, they were made fun of, they were ridiculed because of their faith. Being a Christian was actually very unpopular. Being a Christian attracted taunts. It attracted abuse, persecution. So they didn't rejoice because of their social status or, or their work. In fact, Peter addresses these Christians as pilgrims. Pilgrims, they're traveling somewhere. They're on a journey. This life that they're living now, it's not their final destination. They're passing through. And as they pass through, as they go on this journey through life, they experience trials. As they face persecution, Peter wants to encourage these Christians He wants to encourage them to persevere in their faith, to keep believing in Jesus, despite the hostile world they live in, despite the challenges they face and the pressures that threaten to squeeze the faith out of them. No, these Christians didn't rejoice because of their earthly status or their their social status or their honor. No, Peter says, in this you rejoice. And he refers back to those great promises in verse 3 to 5 that you have been born again into a living hope. You see, Jesus has died to fix what was broken between you and God. And if you believe that, then that brokenness between you and God, it's taken away, it's removed forever. In fact, says Peter, not only that, but you have an awesome future to look forward to. An inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. That is, there's nothing that can spoil it. It's not at all stained. It's a perfect inheritance. There'll be no sorrow. And it's also unfading. It's going to last forever. This is the glorious future waiting for anyone who believes in Jesus. And if you're here today, this morning, and you're not a Christian, then then this glorious future is, is something that's available for you as well. Maybe you don't have hope. Maybe the weight of brokenness rests heavily on you. You want things to get better, but there's no way it looks like they will. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to this world to fix all the brokenness. And if you believe that he has died for your sin, which is the cause of brokenness, then you also can have this living hope. You can also have this amazing inheritance, this awesome future to look forward to. Do you want this hope? Well, look to Jesus today, and you will have your future secure with him. This is an inheritance which is promised for all who believe in Jesus. And it's in this, Peter says, verse 6, it's in this that you rejoice and that you rejoice greatly. The pilgrims Peter wrote to, they didn't primarily rejoice in, in their work or in their social status or their families. And sure, they had joy in all these things but their ultimate joy was found in God and in looking forward to an eternally secure future with Him. In fact, this this rejoicing is something which trumps our earthly situation because Peter says you can rejoice even if you've been grieved by various trials. Note that it says various trials and different people have different experiences. God calls everyone to walk on different paths. So Peter's not talking about a specific sorrow. He's not talking about an, an empire-wide persecution, but he's talking about individual trials for individual Christians. There were a variety of trials. And so this helps us also to apply it to ourselves, as we also experience different trials, various trials. Different Christians walk on different, different roads, And God gives each person a different cross to carry. Your cross will be different than mine. Now Peter is talking to all of us as we carry our crosses because at some stage in our lives we are all grieved by trials. These trials have grieved the believers. It's actually better translated, are being grieved because the believers are in the middle of them. The word suggests an emotional suffering, a grief, Like the sort of suffering, grief that you experience when someone dies. Trials grieve us, don't they? And perhaps you're being grieved by a trial right now. Or perhaps you remember a time in your life of intense suffering. A time of sleepless nights and endless tears. When you look ahead and and you see darkness and no reassurance in the future. And your chest tightens and And you don't know when there will be relief. We are grieved by trials. In the words of a hymn, mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. And so the rejoicing, how does that fit in? Are we talking about a future rejoicing? That like now you grieve and and one day in the future you're going to rejoice again. Well, no, says Peter, you greatly rejoice, though now you are grieved. That is, you rejoice now in the flames. You have grief and joy both at the same time. You don't wait until the trial is over before you rejoice, but you rejoice while you're going through it. Perhaps you've seen a lake covered by a mist, a thick fog blanketing the water so that you can't see to the other side. And sometimes life feels like that too. You can't see far into the future. You don't know where the next corner in life is going to turn. You can't see across the lake. Well, says Peter, as you stare into the fog, that's when you can also rejoice. And to accentuate things even more, Peter says that Christians can greatly rejoice. In verse 8, he talks about an inexpressible joy. Well, Peter himself was actually an example of this if you've been here in Owen Sound over the over the last few weeks we've been going through the book of Acts and there we see Peter and John being tortured for Jesus the Jewish leaders they whipped them, they threw them into jail. so Peter knew what suffering was was like he'd experienced it firsthand and not only that but he rejoiced in suffering in acts 541 Peter and John rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus. They rejoiced while they were suffering in the flame. The Apostle Paul is another example. He wrote to the Philippians telling them to rejoice in the Lord always, even through suffering. And Paul wrote that letter from prison. It was also something that he lived out himself. He wrote to Christians in Colossae. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Peter and Paul practiced what they preached. They rejoiced through suffering. So when do believers rejoice? They rejoice in the flames of suffering. They rejoice greatly. So how is this possible? Why can believers rejoice? And why do believers rejoice? Well, Peter gives three main reasons for rejoicing through trials. The first is the shortness of the trials. The second is their necessity. And the third is the outcome they produce. First is the shortness of the trials. Peter says in verse 6, You greatly rejoice though now for a little while. He also finishes his letter in chapter 5 by saying that the God of great, all grace, after you have suffered a little while, will restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. Because in the perspective of eternity, our suffering on earth is very short, our lives are short. It might not feel like that. Sometimes the seconds drag on, each turning of the clock is painful. We just want the night to finally end and the morning to come. Sometimes in the middle of sorrow, suffering seems endless and we can't see beyond it. We can't see the other side of the lake because of the mist. Perhaps this is what David felt too in Psalm 39. As the fog hung heavy over his life, he says, My distress grew worse and my heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. This was the trial David experienced. He felt the weight of his trial. He felt the intensity of it. And so he prays in Psalm 39:4, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Or as a different translation has it, help me to understand my mortality and the shortness of my life. Let me realize how quickly my life will pass. David prays that he will see the shortness of his life the shortness of his trial. And Jack Miller once wrote, if you get a good grip on the temporariness of life, you will enjoy it more. If you get a good grip on the temporariness of life, you will enjoy it more. Because our lives are short. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us, that is going to be revealed in us. He puts two side by side, a short suffering now, and a never-ending glory forever. And Paul says, not even worth comparing. The sufferings of this life are so short and so small. The fog that covers this lake, if you could just zoom out, you would see the glorious sunshine flooding the earth. If you get a good grip on the temporariness of life, its shortness, you will enjoy it more. Well, the second reason to rejoice is is because trials are necessary. For a little while, if need be, you are grieved. If it is necessary, it could also be translated since it's necessary, because it's necessary. Because suffering is not random. It's not directed by some fate outside of God's control. Peter later says that believers suffer according to God's will. And Paul also says that we must, through many trials, enter the kingdom of God. So trials are necessary, and that enables us to rejoice because we know that God won't give us trials unless they're necessary. He won't put us through something for no reason without a cause. We certainly won't always know what the reason is. But we do know that it has some design, it has some necessity Perhaps it will allow us to to see the brightness more clearly when the fog lifts, when the sun shines through. We may not know the purpose of the trial, but we do know that it has one. And further, we get the idea that, that God doesn't really want to put us through trials. He doesn't want to grieve us, but if it is necessary, He'll do it. Like a mother who doesn't want to punish her child, who doesn't want to withdraw privileges from her child, she doesn't want to make a child experience pain, but sometimes she knows she must for the greater good of her child. God doesn't want to grieve us because he is a loving father and he gives good gifts to his children. And so we can be comforted knowing that he gives trials to us only because they're necessary. And so we rejoice in trials, knowing that they're short, knowing that they're necessary, but we can also rejoice because they have an astonishing outcome. It's like when you do push-ups. You just endure, endure a short, momentary pain because you know that it has a purpose. You know that it's going to make you stronger. It's going to build your muscles. Or when you're doing sprint training and you're just pushing through the pain of, of sprinting so that you're going to be a faster runner. Knowing that it has a purpose, knowing that it has an outcome, helps you to endure the pain. And our, our trials also have, have a purpose, and outcome. Verse 7, So that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold which perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So trials are compared to the, the testing of gold. Both involve a purifying, a, a refining, a burning away of dross of all the bad stuff. As gold is tested by fire, faith is tested by trials. You know, gold has a very high melting point. And so you can put it into a very hot fire and then everything else will be melted away. All the bad stuff gets is gone and all, only what is pure gold remains Only what is genuine. As I was preparing this sermon, I watched a video on on refining gold. And fire is still an important part of the process today. Fire tests the gold. It approves it. So that what you end up with is only pure gold. This metaphor is, is used throughout the Bible. Psalm 66, we sang from that. You, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Isaiah 48, God says, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. James also uses this metaphor in James chapter 1. He writes, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so the trials that we experience, they're like God's fire. They're purifying us. And sometimes it gets hot in that fire. Many of you know the intensity of God's fire. But we can rejoice knowing the purpose of the fire. To show the genuineness of our faith. God is using the fire as his tool. We're his workmanship. He's using the fire to produce something beautiful in us. Genuineness of faith is something that God delights in. He loves to see a pure and genuine faith. And when all the impurity is burned away, God will look at your faith. God will look at your faith and he will say, yes, that's beautiful. I love that. It's good. It's genuine. I approve it. It's precious in my sight. The flame will not hurt you. I only desire, says God, your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Because As Peter says, faith is is far more valuable than gold. While there's a similar process in refining gold and refining our faith, they have a very different value. Faith is much more precious than gold. Because gold one day will perish. But faith will remain forever. Why is faith so precious? Well, faith is precious because it is believing in Jesus Because it's believing in Jesus who has redeemed us with his precious blood. Who paid the greatest price to redeem us. The price of his precious blood. His precious blood which is worth far more than perishable things like silver or gold. Because it represents the greatest sacrifice ever made. Faith is believing in Jesus who has also risen from the dead so that we could be born again to a living hope to that eternal future that we talked about earlier, that hope of eternal life with him. Jesus is our life. He is the reason for our hope and the foundation for our joy. And that's why faith is so precious, because it connects us with him. Faith believes that Jesus is my greatest treasure. And this is the faith that, that is tested and approved by trials When you go through health difficulties, the trials ask you, do you really believe that Jesus is better than your health? When you go through family conflict, or if your family rejects you for believing in Jesus, the trials ask you, do you really believe that Jesus is better than your family? When you're ridiculed for your faith or teased, the trials ask you, do you really believe that the honor of Jesus is worth more than your own honor? Well, brothers and sisters, what is your answer? Do you believe that Jesus is worth more? God uses the trials to make us say, yes. Yes, Lord, I believe that no matter what happens to my health, you are worth more. Yes, Lord, I believe that no matter what happens in my family, in my relationships, you are worth more. Yes, Lord, I believe that no matter what happens to my honor, you are worth more. God uses the trials so that the genuineness of our faith shines even through the fog. When he has tested me, says Job, in a moment of insight in Job 23, I will emerge as pure gold. Well, this is the work that God is doing in our lives through trials. He is the one purifying our faith. He is Jesus is the object of our faith, but he's also the author and the perfecter of our faith the one working in us through his spirit and we can know that he will also perfect and complete this work in verse 5 Peter says you are being guarded by God's power through faith and Philippians 1 says it like this he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ because on that day when Christ is revealed when he comes back when he returns, then our faith will be complete. And then it will result in in praise and glory and honor. Who will receive this praise and glory and honor? Well, it's the faith of believers like pure gold. Your faith, your faith, my brother and sister, which is far more precious than gold, will be glorious. It will be honored. Isn't that something to really look forward to? Well, the faith of believers will receive praise. But ultimately, it's it's God who will be praised. God who is the one who began that faith, who purified that faith, and the one who will complete that faith. And so, brothers and sisters, we can rejoice in trials knowing their shortness, knowing their necessity, and knowing the result that they produce. Trials turn our faith into pure gold. And this is the present rejoicing but one day it will result in in a future joy which is so complete and inexpressible. When a couple is expecting a baby, they're filled with joy during the pregnancy. When they receive the news that they're pregnant, they're they're full of joy at the prospect of new life, even though they haven't yet seen the baby. They don't yet see the baby, but because they know the baby is there, they look forward expectantly with joy to the day that the the baby is born. And in a similar way, we are filled with joy now, even though we do not yet see Jesus, as we look forward to the day when he does come and he does appear. And then when he comes back, then our joy will be complete. It will be full. It will be inexpressible. This is the day that we look ahead to. Because the Christian faith, it's, it's a forward-looking faith. We don't look back to the good old days thinking wistfully of past relationships, past holidays, or past times of health, or past prosperity. No, we look forward, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look forward to that great day when we will be with him forever. We look forward to that day when the blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Our faith then will be sight. The dross will be gone. And we will only wonder why we never trusted him more. And so we love him. Even though we do not see him. We adore our Savior, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we look ahead with joy to this great day when he will be revealed. When we will see him face to face. Bushfires may bring much devastation, but they also bring new life. A seed is cracked open. It falls into the richly fertilized ashen soil and a green shoot emerges. But the fires in our life produce something even more beautiful than that green shoot. They produce in us a pure and a genuine faith in Jesus. That faith will last until the great day when Jesus is revealed. And then the dark night will be over, the fog will be lifted, and the fire will have finished its work. And we will only be left with a pure faith, a pure trust in Jesus, and we will see that it was all worth it. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.